1: The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast
0: Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience for the last three or four years. He's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line.
1: He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace.
3: The battles for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in
1: that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart?
0: I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive.
1: From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass. Here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent.
3: Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. Today's guest, Mike, Executive VP of NASCAR Business at Roush Yates Engine. He manages customer accounts while developing new partnership opportunities and fostering relationships with new customers.
2: That sounds very important, doesn't it? Man, I met him when he was just a (laughs) jackman.
3: He also (laughs) manages relationships with 17 racing organizations, including teams from NASCAR Cup and the Xfinity Series. He started with Robert Yates Racing on the number 28 Texaco Haviland team in 1991, served as the jackman on the 28 as a weekend warrior and within one year earned a full time position in the engine department learning engine building skills under the watchful eyes of Doug and Robert Yates. He was the gas man of the number 8 car for DEI. He has participated Participated, Mike, in 96 Cup wins to date and matches Doug Yates with eight Daytona 500 rings. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff Clark. Jeff, say hi to Mike Wallace.
4: Well, Mike Wallace, thank you very much, and Mr. Jeff Kent. Thank you very much. Great to be here with you guys today. You
2: betcha. Good to have you. Man, I'm going to tell you what, that's an impressive resume. It really is. Think about that. What did you say, 96 wins? He has participated in 96 Cup wins to now, date. And then- to date eight daytona 500 yeah
3: what do you do with all those rings
4: well actually to date it is now 11 daytona 500 wins we've won uh three out of the last four and so that that put me up to 11 rings and i'm very proud of that and so you've got you got 10
3: fingers and one toe covered
4: yeah, so I uh, put one on, put one on a chain, on my dude, my, my 50 starter kit. So all right, we're gonna
3: need you to update your bio on the website then too. Yes, sir. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, let, that. let's just hit on that just for a second, and then we're gonna back up and do some things. And Jeff, the one thing I want you to know is that we we have a. A really, really large listening audience, Jeff. How many people? Do you- well, new data just in: the whole world is listening, Mike. The whole world. The whole world. Okay, <laughs> Jeff. So nothing serious, but the whole world is listening to yeah. you. So love it. I the Daytona 500, and you you've been involved with eleven wins. I mean, most yes. people would be thrilled to death in their career to have one win at the Daytona 500. Seriously, is that, does that seem real to you? I mean, that that is just incredible. It-
4: it doesn't and honestly the the later ones have been as you know engine supply to the teams and and working with these groups um you know michael mcdowell's win was really nice austin Sindrick, those are the two most recent but there's nothing like your first one and that's with davy allison back in 1992 and that was just amazing
2: man congratulations and i'm trying to comprehend that jeff and it's hard for me to soak all that in i gotta be honest with you i'm not sure i've seen a daytona 500
3: ring so jeff when we did promotions back in the day you you weren't wearing one of those rings
4: no i, I didn't wear them <laughs> i was very humble i keep them at the house and uh that's what day stay but really proud of that not only the, the rings but the, you guys have been around the racing garage the relationships the friendships in that garage are amazing and uh that's that's what always made me want to work hard and and you know compete with my friends and try to make make good things happen. So uh, yeah, really proud of that. And it's nice to see them in the cabinet. Uh, the kids will like them one day, but I don't wear them out very often.
2: Yeah. Well, Jeff, you need to be proud. Of it. I tell you what, I'm going to take you out to dinner one night, Jeff, and we're going to go somewhere. And I want you to wear all the rings. Yeah. We're, we're going to we're going to use we're going to abuse you. We're going to get real suck up service. So in order <laughs> to see the one on the toe, you'd have to wear sandals. <laughs> <laughs> Flip flops. We'll
3: go someplace casual. Yeah. We'll do it. So good.
2: Hey, Hey, before we go back in time here, I, I want to compliment you, because you kind of hit on it just for a second there. You know, I moved down to the Carolinas in uh, late 1991, and you and I met, said hello, just uh, just briefly passing. but I really seriously believe that you have more friends and more acquaintances than anybody in the sport. Everybody loves you. You're just a nice guy. You talk to everybody. Uh, with all that success, you, you don't have, don't appear to me at least to have some crazy ego. So uh, kudos to you for, uh, for your uh, large fan base, friendship base, all that, man. Good job.
4: Oh, thanks on that. You know, grew up here in Charlotte. I'm a local kid and went down to UNC Wilmington and carried a lot of good friends with me down there from high school. And then Doug Yates, my best friend through high school. And another group went to NC State. So we were back and forth between those two colleges. A lot of times as we're growing up, going to school. Matter of fact, we just went to the NC State Carolina football game with about 10 of our best friends from high school. And uh, that was a flashback. But, you know, the racing side of it, all those friends would come to races with us over the years. Really neat how they've helped us over the years. When we started Robert Yates Racing up, and I think you know the story of Robert selling everything he had to buy the Rainier Lundy team um that was tough times for all of us and a lot of our friends were in the weekends helping us setting up the pits um, getting cars and equipment back and forth when we needed it um, those relationships you never forget and, and you always appreciate them well you definitely
2: have a have a, a big group of that and so you you mentioned the college days and i guess that's probably a let's start a little bit before that was there anything in the motorsports world that intrigued you before the college days
4: you know, not not racing, you know, Doug raced go-karts a little bit when we were kids, um, but never <laughs> never made it up the ranks. He was a much better mechanic, and that's where we were better mechanics helping our friends that were drivers as kids with the go-karts, and uh, that's where we learned our, our place, and would go to the shop on the weekends, especially Doug. He was there since five years old every weekend cleaning the shop uh, with his Uncle Richard so that. When the guys came back from the racetrack, the shop was clean and ready to go. And that's that's kind of how we set our I don't know, our disciplines or how you keep a shop in order and ready and clean. So we like to keep our facilities top notch. You also find problems when there's a machine leaking or there's something wrong. You not notice it real fast because you're on watch. You're taking care of that building, you know, those pieces of equipment. But no real motorsports background other than having fun with. Kids in the backyard racing go karts, and uh, and then finding a way to get to the track on the weekends to follow Robert around. with we kids.
2: So tell me, because I, I've kind of messed up my regular format here. I went forward, and I'm trying to go backwards. So you've known Doug and Robert for a long time. Then it wasn't just in the college days. Did you guys grow up together? Is that what you're telling me?
4: We did. We met. So when you leave your middle school in in the Charlotte Mecklenburg School System, I think ninth grade or the tenth grade, you start a new high school, and all these Different schools merged together. Um, we met Doug in the, uh, the like the student union. He was kind of by himself, and I'd come from the school that had the most kids transferring in from the middle school. So we adopted Doug and made him our friend, And since about fourteen years old, we've been best buddies. And as you grow up and you get your driver's license and you start doing fun stuff, dating girls or going to college, we were always there for each other through those years, and we still are today. Forty. Plus years later,
2: well, that's incredible. So let's let's get back to that dating side. You got any good stories that um, <laughs> you know that one of the two well, wives wouldn't like to hear today, but was fun back then? And and the well, statute yeah. of limitations is totally ran out. They cannot get mad at you for anything you're saying on the show.
4: Yeah, well, with a tread light there, Miss Whitney is like my sister, and she keeps Doug and I in a pretty straight line these days. So, um, yeah, I'd be very careful to bring any of those old stories out. So I uh, got to walk a straight line there. But I'll just say we had a lot of fun, and I'll tell you what, we were always gentlemen. My father and Dale Clark and then Robert Yates, you know, Doug's father, were very strict, uh, very good Christian guys, and they wouldn't tolerate any. Any you know sideways stuff with us growing up, so I'll just say we were a perfect gentlemen growing up, and we had a lot of fun.
3: So, and having said that, and you
4: grew up in Charlotte, where'd you go to high school? I went to East Mecklenburg High School. There you go. Yes, sir. Out there, Monroe Road, East Meck Tech. Know exactly where it is.
2: I think, buddy, my Robbie Wood went there. I keep saying, hearing yeah. him say East Meck. I don't know. What, so I went. But uh, first of all, you you guys, uh, your fathers did a great job because you both are very respectful gentlemen. But so let's move forward. So you you uh, you meet Doug in high school. Uh, you guys proceed on, and how do you get started with Doug or with Robert in, in the racing world? That's where like everybody I know that knows you knows you from is the race world. So how did, how did you get wanting to do anything or clean the shop or empty the trash or any whatever you did.
4: So this is a great story. So right out of college. Well, first of all, we wanted to go to the shop right after high school. And our parents were like, no, you're going to try college or the military. You're going somewhere first. We're not just going to let you go race. So Doug went to NC State. I went to Wilmington. Doug got an engineering degree. I got a marketing degree, communications and marketing degree. And when I came out, and Jeff Kent, you should like that. I got a communications degree.
3: I do like that. I did the journalism program. But, yeah, communications and marketing, very good. See yes. And you've put it to good use. Look at you now. I- <laughs> but I was always
4: Frank Turner as the high school kid and loved being around it. Well, one summer after college, paying off some credit cards, Robert had me paint the race shop. And so painting the race shop. And that's, I think Jake elder was the crew chief for Davey. Joey knuckles was there like our car chief. And I played basketball through high school and played some uh, summer leagues down at Wilmington and kind of a, a manager walk-on position at college. And, they Came and got me off the ladder and said, Hey, you played some sports. We need a jack man. The guy we have right now, his wife says he's getting off pit road because he's too valuable, and plus, he's getting off the couch on Mondays is really hard for him. That was Robert Yates, he was the jack man. <laughs> 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 that scared the heck out of me. Hey, how how PG, where are we at? With language, are we gotta stay nice and good. Uh,
2: you can say a few, don't go a pure
4: way. Well, the FCC
3: isn't listening. Yeah, yeah, scare the hell is fine.
4: <laughs> scared the hell out of me uh i was gonna try to take robert's job on pit road because he was a really good jack man so they took me on the parking lot they showed me how to make the footsteps around the car they had a, a car that had been a, a show car no engine and i was jacking the right side of it up and i drop it and they time you getting around to the left side because back then you had that tire changer on the left side and take the lug nuts off and it was all about getting to the left side with really good speed so this is the middle of summer and that's August, you know, hot as can be, and I'm making all these laps around his car, working out my footsteps. They said, "All right, Robert's going to be here about eleven o'clock. He's going to put a stopwatch to you, and if you can do this, you might have a chance to go with us next year on pit road." So, Robert gets there and he asked me if I felt comfortable and just the basic questions. I understand how the jack works and the pit stop choreography. Yeah, he said, "All right, go get a drink of water. When you come out, you give me your best time." So when I got back out there, I jacked the car up on the right side, and he had a stopwatch and he's standing right in front of the car. And he's, go! Well, I dropped the car, and I'm going around the front, and my feet come out from underneath me. And I hadn't had any trouble all day practicing, but I bust my butt, drive my left elbow into the pavement, but I hop back up, get over there to the left side, and get the car up. And I see Robert looking at me, and I'm like, man, dejected. I said, Robert, I have not fallen all day. I've been working really hard at this. I don't know what happened. He said, well, come here, let me show you what happened. He said, look in front of the car, and there's this, like kitty litter stuff everywhere. And I'm like, Robert, that was not here this morning. I don't know where that came from. He said, well, that's called Speedy Dry, and it's going to be at the racetrack. And I had to find out, when you fell down, were you going to cry about your elbow or were you going to finish my pit stop? <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm standing here, with blood running down my arm. And he said, by the way, with the fall, you're still faster than me. So you keep practicing. We're gonna to go to some tests this, this fall, and you're gonna practice with us. And then we go to Daytona next year. You're a jackman, and we did just that. We practiced all year long. I was going to the racetrack more in '91. In 1992, I was I was a jackman over the wall. Wow! So uh, so so did amazing.
2: did Rob? <clears throat> excuse me. Did Robert place the Speedy Dry on the ground just to see if he'd fall or not?
4: Exactly what he did. He did. He put it out. Okay. he did? Yeah. He put it out <laughs> make me fall and test me for tough (laughs) well that's great and
3: you passed the toughness test
4: (laughs) well i did uh and i learned real quick to sweep pit road every day when you get out there between pit stops you always saw the jackman and the tire changers up front sweeping their pit road to make sure you didn't fall or lose footing so Mm -hmm. uh, yeah but that was a, a trial by fire for sure
3: and if you know jeff clark you know he's a big dude so well, I and mean, if anybody can jack the car, it's got to be him, right? Yeah, well, he Especially back
2: he, in the day. They they used to when Jeff was jacking. That's what created the new fast jacks because he's the only one who could have pumped the thing. Is that right?
4: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <it's> just <laughs> yeah. We we really, you know, innovation and things like that were coming in. The the air guns were getting faster, and then they created that one pump jack. You know, Jeff Hammond was like the big guy on pit road. Him and Gary Brooks over there at actually Rusty's car. They were really sharp david smith at the three car these are some you know older guys that were the leaders on pit road as jack men. but we went to this one pump jack and it really put me in a special position because of the size and strength um it, it became the new standard on pit road and actually the team started recruiting more and more college kids from sports and today that's the standard but i'd say andy papathasanu myself um mongo the guy Boys at the, you know, Michael Walters racing back then at the uh actually the 30 car Bahari. Those were the first two athletes coming out behind, you know, Jeff Hammonds. He played a little baseball at at the East Carolina. But that that became the trend. If you want to be good in your pit crew, you started recruiting. And our pit stops, you know, I got there was like 20 seconds. And we dropped it to 18, then 16, kept clicking it off. Well, today these kids have less people on pit road, they're all my size, or bigger, and they're fast. I mean, nine-second pit stops, it's insane.
2: That's a perfect place to take a break and and come back and talk
4: about it. Every
3: team needs a guy named Mongo, you know (laughs) what I'm saying? He's an executive VP at Roush Yates Engines. Jeff Clark is our guest. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by MyRacePass and NASCAR Digital
2: Media. Hi, it's Mike Wallace. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle that's currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off of new and used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, You need Indeed.
3: Welcome back to the Speedsport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit fordlincolncharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointments, or collision need. He's well known in the garage in NASCAR. He's Jeff Clark, our guest, and once again. Here's Mike Wallace.
2: Well, Jeff, we were talking before we went to break there about Robert Yates, and we realized that Robert Yates kind of set you up to, to fall to see how you would respond. And you recovered wonderfully. You did great. You become, you know, the full-time Jackman. So what did you do on the race team other than on the race day duties? Were you involved in anything on the race car at the shop or do any type of things there? Or, or were you yes. just a full-time Jackman?
4: No. So the, the first year— Um, Kind of how I earned that spot. I was paying the shop, I think I told you earlier, but I'd always go to the shop on Tuesday, Wednesday nights to help clean the pit box, the toolboxes, organize, sort the truck, help Norman, remember Norman Koshimizu? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Help him clean the truck, get it ready. And then um, that was the year Larry Wallace and a lot of the guys went to start their own engine company. And I saw my opportunity. I was already on the weekends as the Jack man, still working at my family's insurance office, but was not happy sitting behind a desk. And I decided to talk to Robert about a full-time job. And he said, all right. He said, our families know each other really well. He said, if you get the blessing from your dad and your granddad, you got a job here, bud. So went and talked to them. They supported it. They didn't understand racing very well, but they knew if I wasn't happy and loving what they were doing, um, I wasn't ever going to be good at it, which was really good advice back then, to the 21-year-old kid. So I um, went and saw Robert, went work full-time in the teardown room, disassembling engines, washing parts, and prepping parts on the shelf. And that's where I really learned a lot because Robert, as you remember, would work around the clock, and so would Doug right by his side. And after five, six o'clock, most people would go home. I would stay with them seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, sometimes midnight, till the police would show up and tell us to turn the dyno off. Um, <laughs> learning, fun, soaking it up. And if you look at that '92 Daytona 500 picture, you see Doug and I were pale, pale white. We hadn't seen sunlight in probably you know six months, and big black circles in our eyes because all the hours we were working but the biggest smiles you ever see on a kid's face when you won the Daytona 500. So that's that's the best picture I remember of all of us racing together. And, and that engine shop position as a teardown specialist turned into a dyno operator and then trackside tuning. And as you earn a position or trust it, you know, the, the progression of the guys in the garage, as you get trusted to do a job and you do it well, it, it opens up the next opportunity. So I, I was very fortunate.
2: Uh, that's a that's a cool story so as you're at robert yates racing you guys win the 1992 daytona 500 which is basically i'll call it right out of the box you guys win you're you you get the job as a teardown guy learn a little bit and you and doug and robert and the whole team are working all these hours and so after you do that how long do you stay at robert yates racing or how do you continue and where do you continue within that company
4: so that's a good question. So Doug and I were roommates. We had a house, uh, we were renting together and then we were working all these hours. And, and again, we're like brothers. Okay. Um, we were very young, very aggressive and trying to grow and, and develop things. And we started butting heads. It was really hurting our friendship. And so I exited, I, I decided to leave. Um, one of the pictures I sent you was, uh, a race at Dover, Delaware, Davey Allison. We had, um, We'd had a, a engine issue. Or no, I'm saying we may have crashed. And as we were out of the race, uh, Rusty's leading the race, and Gary Brooks, the jackman, throws his back out. Well, they come over and grab me and they said, hey, and back then you couldn't leave Dover downs. There's no way out, right? You're there for the duration. So I sat in on a couple of pit stops, and we almost won that race. I think we got into some oil leading the race and crashed with Rusty, but had a lot of fun around those guys. They are also in a Ford. And so I thought of an opportunity to go talk to them about, hey, I'm not getting along real well here. I really want an opportunity to come work at a different team. And so I, I did. I exited and went to work for Penske for about a year, year and a half, and um, then uh, got you know, to the. Drop I didn't
2: realize you were at Penske. Boy, I missed that whole whole time or era there.
4: Did I think it was '90, uh, end of '95, beginning of '96. And then that's about the time this guy named Dale Earnhardt was building a big new shop over off Highway 3. Is he somebody
2: we're supposed to know his name? (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
4: And you guys. As they say, he was
2: a big deal, wasn't he?
4: Oh, back then, it was still, still.
2: Jeff's looking at me like, what an idiot you are.
3: There's a, there's a road in Kanapolis named after him, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, that,
4: that was all
2: supposed to be a joke, guys. Okay. <laughs>
4: I think That's we know correct. who Dale Earnhardt is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. So a little levity. So you remember, Dale would come up, want to talk to you, put his arm around your neck, and start talking in your ear, walk with you. I well, do remember that he i've seen him do it to you i've seen him doing a lot of different guys well he grabbed me and he said what are you doing in this blue uniform that's when the mirror light thing was going and i said hey i wasn't getting along at home with doug i had to make some changes i don't want to ruin my friendship he goes well we're doing something over highway three there you know color creek highway i want you to come check it out if this doesn't work out you give me a call and sure enough there's some things going on and changes and uh then the, the team growing and changing so um Phone rang the Monday after that, the Daytona 500, and it was Dale Sr. on the phone. It's back when your phone was on the wall, and he said, I told you there were some things getting ready to happen. He said, get your, get your uh, truck or whatever you drive and get up here. I'll show you what we're doing. And he goes, bring your pay stub. And I said, my pay stub? He goes, absolutely. I'm not going to let you lie about what you make. <laughs> I said, I said, That's
3: funny.
4: I said, because I said, back then people would fudge their, their paycheck and get more money the next place they went to. And I said, "Is that legal?" He said, "I don't care if it's legal or not. You want a job?" (laughs) So uh, so that's perfect. I got—I got to
2: share a quick story to jump in the middle there. Has nothing to do with racing, but when I first met Dale Earnhardt, I hung out up at his shop for a day. I—he was going to sign a hood for me, and he told me I had to come up and hang out with him. (laughs) Like I'm young, I I get to hang out with Dale Earnhardt—a pretty cool deal, right? Right. And we got talking about property prices around the area. And he gave me a number that that's all he would pay to any piece of property around there. But he would pay the back taxes. He says, hell, man, I'm not going to raise the price on the next piece I buy. You know? and just <laughs> when you said brought the paycheck, you had right. to prove what you were making. But you know? who
3: hasn't done that? I mean, you know, so, yeah. you know, yeah, we, we're, we're interested in bringing you on board. What are you making? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm making $25 at the time or something. Well, 35 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't yeah. mean to interrupt the great, st- great story. No, no, but I kind of chimed story. in right there about the uh,
2: the pay stub. I oh. like that. I really never heard anybody say that. Bring your pay stub. Bring your pay stub. Exactly. So you can't lie about what
4: you make. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> he uh, he got when I got up there, he put me in the truck and drove around, and and I think the main building in the center was the only thing that was finished. There's construction going on everywhere. The uh, the chicken shop, the you know chicken farm shop, was where they had the trucks, and Hornaday and things going on, and so. He said, listen, we're going to build a really nice program here. We think you could be a part of it. He said, go in there and Ty Norris is running. Go see Ty Norris. And you guys and Steve Mill get this thing worked out. We want you up here. we got some things happening in the real near future. Because at the time, Steve Park was the only one driving in that Penske car. Uh, Darrell Waltrip had sat in when Steve got hurt. Steve was coming back. And then they announced the whole Budweiser thing. And known unbeknownst to me the next year they took me from the engine program with park over to the Budweiser car and it was like I mean that was center stage of those days that Budweiser team was like the biggest thing in the garage and you really had to have your act together organized and and ready to go race and, and I think we did a good job with Dill Jr. winning three races the all-star race is a rookie um the Winston as it was back then um that was a great, great change for me. And, and what it helped me do, honestly, was earn respect with Robert and Doug that I wasn't just sure telling them it, that I could go win races and I was working hard to earn, earn a new spot. And that, I think, what set the table for many years later um, when, you know, DEI started to dismantle. Um, Doug had an opportunity to buy the engine shop from Robert. Um, Robert Gates Racing had, had closed. Robert wanted to retire. And Doug called me today. He said, you think we can work together again? And I said, absolutely. We'd fix our friendship by now. And he said, "Uh, I've got an opportunity to to buy the engine shop from dad. Um, I need somebody I trust in the front office. He said, I don't want you coming here to turn wrenches. I want you to get involved with our relationships, our contracts, help get it organized. And um, if you're okay with not working on engines and race cars, you can come help me manage the, the contract side. He said, I think we can make this thing work. And that was in 2009 and now we're hitting 2023 and we've done a lot of fun things since 2009 together.
3: So that was the end of your career at DEI. Is that what you're saying?
4: Yes. Yes. I did help Greg Zipidelli uh, for one year at Joe Gibbs racing. That was the year where DEI was closing down. Most of those guys on the team went to help start Stuart Haas and then <laughs> Zippy was stuck in a contract at Joe Gibbs for one more year, and he had this rookie driver named Joey Logano coming up. And he said, I'm going to have a full hand with this kid and uh, go on cup racing. He said, I need some calm, level-headed guys around here. Come over and help us on the pit crew. By then, I was a gas man. I wasn't jacking the cars anymore. I was a gas man and more of a team guy and a little older. So it was fun. Had a great group over there. I'll never forget that year, 2009 racing with those guys, and, and won the Rookie of the Year with Lugano, we actually got him a win there at New Hampshire. Um, so it was a lot of fun to see that, that transpire. And then Zippy went on to, obviously, Stuart Haas with, with Tony in that program, and then I went to help Doug with the engine program right after 2009.
2: So backing up a little bit, because I there's a kind of like a lot of mystery around the whole DEI uh, world after Dale. You know what I'm saying? That, uh, But when you went over to DEI, you just didn't go there to be part of the pit crew. You were in the engine shop over there also?
4: Yes, sir. So Richie Gilmore, myself, a few people were there. They they kind of assembled guys from Hendrick Motorsports and some guys that were part of the Everham program that was in transition. Um, we had a, a, a large group of guys. We had um, Sterling Performance was a offshore uh, engine company out of Detroit that did big, big power plants through General Motors for uh, for offshore boats. A uh, guy named Jim Gamash came over to help direct that part, and we were transitioning from leased engines. When Dale Jr. and all the groups were in Xfinity, or back then the Bush Series, Ron Hutter was doing the engines, and Dale wanted his own engine shop. So that was part of the recruitment of myself, Richie Gilmore, a few other key engine guys to come over there, and, and we're going to put the groundwork together for Dale Earnhardt Incorporated engine shop, which if you remember going in that building, that glass bowl in the center were all the machines from the bridge ports, the mills, the lathes that made the parts, the CNC machines that fed it into the assembly areas. And it was really the heart of that shop next to that big trophy room and the the granite floor where all the showcase cars were. So yes, I worked in the engine department, got to be a part of the groundwork there and uh, would go to the racetrack tuning the the cars we started with steve park and then became the engine tuner and the the cool thing back then a lot of the guys that were the early crew were also the guys on the pit crew and we didn't have to wait on the airplane to arrive or bad weather Um, especially on the budweiser team everybody on the road crew was the pit crew so um, if we ever had inclement weather at dover or pocono uh, we're ready to go race. We weren't waiting on airplanes to land. We had yeah. our crew right. So,
2: So Jeff, a, a, a question that, I don't know, I've always had, and I, I know a lot of people had, when you use the word engine tuner uh, back in the day, in that time and era, what was considered an engine tuner? What did you do? I mean, I, I, people are seeing guys walk around with laptops a day, but what, what was an engine tuner in, in the Budweiser days? You know,
4: those days, and even back to the the, the Davy Allison and Ernie Irvin days, um, you're you're more or less a weatherman. You're watching the weather, and you're staying on top of it to tune the engine with the distributor, the carburetor, the jetting. It was all manual tuned back then. You didn't have a computer or an ECU like we have today to load in a, a map or like the electronic tuning, the calibration they call it today. But we were the calibrators with with jetting. You had to read spark plugs. You remember the old plug check, right? Everybody oh yeah. Shut that baby dropped.
2: off. Robert Yates even was the one who taught me how to do a proper plug check at Daytona.
4: Yes, sir. Come down
2: the Got back it. straight away, push the clutch in, let it down, shut the motor off. Don't shut it off without yeah. pushing the clutch in. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I mean he was the greatest, you know. He was He was so uh
4: and you know I learned from um just like you were taught there, um, on reading spark plugs. So when you look at the tip of a spark plug, the part that's inside the engine when it's running you're looking at the porcelain you're looking if it's chalky if it's glazed if it's in certain parts of the heat that was in it from the fuel the fuel ring around the the basin of the porcelain and then the side wire that you had on a spark plug you're looking for coloration you're looking for the the green that's coming into it because of timing and by following the weather mainly your barometer and your humidity um, you're using those two things to get as aggressive as you can for qualifying which is two laps and cool cool water in the engine to then kind of soften and tune up a little bit for the race, for durability, making sure you're going to finish the race for good fuel economy. But your job as the engine tuner was to read those spark plugs, um, check and make sure there's no trouble. Uh, All the nuts and bolts on the engine were tight for the race. Uh, Plug wires, all eight of them on the engine, not one off, so you don't have a plug wire off, which that's a big frustration back in the day when plug wires would pop off. So had that uh, happen. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and you're begging for a caution, right? Begging, oh. get me a caution. Put like, that plug wire back.
2: For? Oh, you were involved in that one, huh? <laughs> old school mechanics.
3: I love it. now everything's done by computer. I knew a, an old school mechanic one time who could take one of those long screwdrivers, put it on top of the engine, put his ear up to the screwdriver, and tell you what was wrong with the engine. True story. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> He's an executive VP at Roush Yates Engines We're talking to Jeff Clark wow, That was goofy You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace On the Speedsport Podcast Network Powered by MyRacePass and NASCAR
2: Digital Media Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace Is teaming up with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln On South Boulevard To save you money on your vehicle purchase Right now you can get $500 off Any new or used vehicle in stock Hey, Mike, there's a landing page online with all the info you
3: need to take advantage of this offer. FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. You can view inventory and more. You can even listen to any of the 80-plus episodes of Fast Car to NASCAR while there.
0: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way?
3: Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fickin, Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. We're learning how to tune engines with Jeff Clark once again. Here's Mike Wallace.
2: And as we went to break, you were talking about the long screwdriver, and you <laughs> it thought it was a out, joke. I thought it was a joke. And during the break, we discussed
4: a it's, surreal it, it's deal. It's
3: legit. Yeah. That's how you listen to what's happening inside the motor, yeah. the cylinders,
4: you know. So, Absolutely. J-
2: Jeff, you got to have something else to go along with that, don't you?
4: Yeah, I do. I think we're talking about uh, Mr. Jeff Kent shutting off the lawnmower engine and getting that nice. <laughs> Zap. that lights you up, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. You ought to try that with an 800-horsepower NASCAR engine. That feels no, would- really
3: so, so uh,
4: has that happened to you? Oh, yeah. So we were at a racetrack, um, had a brand-new car. We'd had some wrecks. Things got in a hurry at the shop. Somebody forgot to ground the ignition system. And I reached in to grab the distributor to make a timing adjustment, and it grabbed me like a lightning bolt, and I couldn't let go. I mean, it, it had me. I couldn't let go. Uh, Tim Brewer was a crew chief back then over there at the 37 car, you know, the Carl Haas team.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: Walked over because he saw what was going on. He literally kicked me off of the car and I hit the ground. I'm a big guy, 6'5, six, six, 260, and it dropped me to my knees. I couldn't get off of it. And he kicked me off the distributor took a big breath of air and he said yeah i saw that happen i was just figuring how long i was gonna let you stay on it before i kicked you off
2: you know what's the craziest (laughs) part you mentioned tim brewer i could just see brewer now if you knew brewer he'd walk up to you twist his little arm or the rolex he won from one of the deal what's what you up to (laughs) cuz oh yeah cuz you need to be kicked off the car here
4: (laughs) yeah well he saved my life that day yeah i love him
2: so so those are the power, since you said that to finish the story, the ignition boxes and all that create a lot of power in a race car, right?
4: Yeah, so it's not the voltage. You got a twelve volt system, but it's the amps going through that ignition system. You're running forty thousand to eighty thousand amps through that thing, man, it'll light you up hmm. like a lawnmower. But times eight and a lot more power.
2: And you thought a lawnmower was a big deal. <laughs> so
3: I didn't think of it. I'll tell you what. You know, I had uh, a heart issue five years ago, so I have this pacemaker. internal cardio device. That's right. Yeah, it there a pacemaker. you go. Yeah. And uh, my heart was, uh, was in a very nasty rhythm just over a year ago, and it zapped me. Oh, really? Oh, and that's like 800 volts. So I, I know... A little more than than touching a lawnmower spark plug because it it knocked me to my knees too. I know what you're talking about. I remember
2: when we were kids, we used to check nine volt batteries by sticking them (laughs) to our tongue. tongue, Yeah, (laughs) and you go, oh yeah, it's good. Just like that's the dumbest thing I could possibly done. (laughs) So so you progressed through from Robert Yates to Penske Racing to Dale Earnhardt, uh, Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, and then you advanced on getting back with doug but let's go back to dale earnhardt for a second just because everybody i mean still today everybody talks about dale earnhardt doesn't matter what it is and uh what kind of guy was he to work for or work around or once you were hired did you see him much i'll say it that way
4: yeah you saw him a lot and sometimes you saw him when you didn't want to see him (laughs) so (laughs) um so i'll give you a quick story um we win that first race with Dale Jr. as a rookie at Texas. And um, that's in the height of the Budweiser fun. We get back. Dale Jr. lived right across the street from the race shop. And we had a little party. And Dale Jr. was known for having some parties. But I was not a part of Dale Jr.'s main posse, his Dirty Mo' posse back then. I was, I was on the team, welcome to come over and hang out. Well, this thing went all night. You think getting back from Texas – this party went way into the early morning. Well, the next day, this truck drives up in the driveway and I went over to the, the shop behind the house to take a nap on the couch. And when I heard that truck pull in the driveway, I heard these boots walking across the driveway. I looked out, saw it was big Dale. It's still about six o'clock in the morning. I hustled across to my vehicle, went to the race shop, went to the pit department, took a quick shower. And by the time I got to my workstation, he was already there, leaning against the counter, arms <laughs> crossed, just staring, staring me down. And I said, Yes, sir. And he said, Well, at least you're on time to work. I went, Yes, sir. He said, uh, Did I see your truck in the parking lot at Dale Jr.'s this morning? And I went, Yes, sir. And he said, Don't lie. I said, yeah, I was there. And he goes, We hired you to be a part of uh, Voice for Reason around here, not join the party. Are we clear? Yes, sir. <laughs> he walked off shaking his head. Like, don't get out of that house partying anymore.
2: You know, it's funny when you mentioned our uh, coincidental, however, when he, Jeff mentioned about him leaning back against the counter with his arms crossed. Uh, yeah, I got a visual there, there, on that. There There's so yeah. many poetic pictures of Dale Earnhardt with that pose, you know, like yeah. sitting there, like, and your captions can be so many things, like, what the f- you doing? And this <laughs> and that. And so, he was all business,
4: you know, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he walked. I'll tell you I'll tell you a, a more kind story about him. That was one where it was kinda of like a disciplinarian, like your dad mad at you. But um when I first went to work over there, I was driving this little extended cab pickup and I had gone through the front gate where he was always there in the mornings watching employees who was coming in, checking what time you came in. That's what he was really doing. Really? And, you know, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Um you're late. You didn't you didn't last around there very often. So you made sure you're on time. Well, I'm coming to the gate, I'm on time. And I pull around. By the time I got to my parking spot, this big black Z71 pickup slides up behind me, tires screeching, and he gets out like a drill sergeant. He goes, "You mean to tell me you got two kid seats in the front of this little, you know, piece of crap truck?" He said, uh, "Get in my truck." And I'm like, "Excuse me," he said, "Get in the truck." And I said, "Yes, sir." hopped in the passenger seat of his pickup truck, and we take out to the front gate, and we're just driving. And I'm like, where is he taking me? Is he taking me in the woods and shoot me? What's what's going on? <laughs> and so we drive about 45 minutes through these back roads, and we pull up at Hart Chevrolet. And I'm like, what are we doing here? He goes, listen, it's your lucky day. He said, I'm getting my new factory truck. And he said, you're getting this one. This is my truck. You're getting it. And I said, I'm getting it. I said, I can't afford this. He said, just go in the front office, talk to Tommy. He's the finance guy. He, he's got something in there for you. So I go in this this finance office, and I'm like, Tommy, what's going on here? He goes, Well, Dale had him call. Said you're driving a real, real small truck, and you had your kids seats in there, and he was not happy about that. Said, you know, you, your kids are very important. Your family's all you got. You better take care of them. He said, that truck you he came here in, he said, that's yours now. And I said, Tommy, I can't afford this. He said, don't worry, he's going to fix your paycheck on Friday. He said, just just take care of those kids. That's what he wanted you to understand. So I thought I was getting yelled at about, you know, not driving the right truck, or I had these baby seats in the front seat of a little compact truck, and the man ended up giving me his factory truck. Well, I ended up being a customer now. I bought it, but he fixed my paycheck where I could afford it, and that's – that's pretty special. And I'm not, he'd do that for a lot of people that you'd never hear these stories and he never wanted you telling them, but I'm telling them now because I don't think people realize that side of Dale senior, he, he cared about everybody at that company. He made sure you were good. Your family was good. And that you were there working hard as you could and focused on racing, not worried about your bills or, what was going on at home that's 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 big a cool heart.
3: story yeah that's a cool story but let's back up a second and talk about that little truck that you were driving because one of the things we do on this show is we usually talk to people about what kind of a car a personal car they were driving when they went from point a to point b moving you know to charlotte from wherever to get into in <laughs> since you grew up here that doesn't really apply but tell us more about what kind of a truck exactly was that that you were driving
4: so, do you remember when Dodge and Mitsubishi were sharing a lot of their truck uh, designs and technology? I was driving a Mitsubishi, like Mighty Max cab. This thing had like a three-cylinder engine in it. It was, uh, <laughs> it was tiny. It looked like a, a Volkswagen Rabbit with a pickup bed in the back of it. It was, it was pathetic. But it had good gas mileage, and it was paid for. That's right. all I had.
3: I had one of those little Dodge trucks, and I think it had a Mitsubishi engine in it. Really? I think yeah. So. That, yeah.
4: That's exactly what it was. It was yeah. that little Dodge. But when I had two baby truck, he wasn't he wasn't having that. He said, "You're gonna have this this big extended big pickup truck, and you put those kid seats in the back seat. You take care of those kids." That's
2: beautiful. You know what's crazy about that? That's um, so this is show ninety five we're doing, Jeff. Your your guest ninety five. That's just kind of a special number for us. But uh, yeah. we we've got so many variations of that question. That's the Jeff Kent. <laughs> Kent, question right there. What vehicle did you drive when you got here? Yeah. You know, I like so. that. and and one of the best
3: that we had we had Todd Bodine on the show, and you know he was from upstate New York, so when he came down to Charlotte, North Carolina, to to pursue a career in NASCAR, he was driving a Chevette, <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he had all of his belongings crammed into the Chevette and drove all the yeah. way to and drove all the way to North Carolina in
4: that. Yeah. But when he's out in the restaurants and. You know, we got married when he was down here. But uh, when you meet people out, you tell them you drive a vet. You don't yeah, say exactly. sh-
3: <laughs> you don't have to say it's a show vet. It's just a vet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so
2: Jeff, good. you mentioned kid seats in the car. What do you have for children?
4: So two children. My son Tanner now is 26 and my daughter Samantha is 25. Uh, you know, Shauna Robinson and I were married for a while, started our family, and then uh, went back racing. Uh, We are no longer married, but great friends, Uh, did a great job with our kids, Uh, still great friends today. Holidays, we do things together with each other, and uh, very, very thankful for two healthy young kids there.
2: Oh, wonderful. So we're going to move forward. We kind of touched on a little while ago, then we moved back, and we got the Dale stories. So the time when Doug Yates now calls you and says, hey, Jeff, whatever problems we had, let's fix— I'm assuming something like that. And yeah. can you come – but I don't want you working in the Indian shop. I want you kind of managing the deal. How, what was your thought at that point?
4: Well, you know, I was uh, I was flattered that he wanted me to consider working with him again. Um, that was the first thing. And it was it was like coming back home. You know, we had grown up together. We had already fixed our friendship. We were doing a lot of things with our friends, like I said earlier, going to football games and weekends we could get away off-season stuff you know Um, so our friendship was intact but the working together again yeah I was a little intimidated at first but uh, to go in the front office we had a really good uh, office manager Marianne Maldwin Uh, she knew the contracts really well however she didn't go to the racetrack she didn't know the people and that's where I was a big help to the, the company where if we needed to talk to somebody, especially when you need to get paid sometimes, I had no problem going to collect money and uh, asking people You mean people everybody for
2: didn't us. pay you on time?
4: <laughs> Here comes that big dude,
3: Jeff Clark. <laughs> oh, God. Get the checkbook.
4: Yeah, some people, laugh about that. Yeah, so that was part of it. But I'll be honest, um, the bigger responsibility was, you know, when you have a contract, you've got some services that you commit to, Making sure we're doing the best we can do. All of our engine tuners are on time, taking care of our engines. We got a really good team. Uh, you know, Mark Hayes has been our logistics guy, taking care of all their track tuners. But when you got to bring it back to the contract side and make sure that you know everything's okay. Uh, what do we need to change? How to make it better? Always doing a review like we would do with our engine building. How do we make the engine better? Well, how do we make our business better? And that's had you know time to focus on that and really build a good network of people putting a good engine business together so i think I've helps contribute to that and uh good good leadership from you know doug and obviously robert Our training our background uh eddie wood and lenwood would always joke about robert he knew down to the penny how much money was in the pepsi machine in the lobby of the race shop <laughs> he, he, he counted every penny and he said it's very clear you two have done a good job of managing every penny that you guys make and make sure it goes to the, the right equipment and the right people and, and build a good company. So that was a big compliment from Len and Eddie one time.
2: Yeah. You know, it's funny. We had a uh, Robert, my wife and I invited Robert and Carolyn and, and a few other people. We, we were big time in it one night back in the day at Daytona A guy had loaned me, loaned me, uh, like a 60 foot. I call it a boat. They called it a yacht Oh, nice. and it was parked yeah. at the chart house. Oh, sweet. And, um, uh, <laughs> of course I was trying to live, Way outside of my means at that moment, you know. You but, were showing off. Yeah, well, but it. it didn't cost me anything. <laughs> but it, but it looked right. fancy, you know what I mean? And had Doug and Carolyn there, and this person, that person, Fred Biagi, and well, and so, and I I love this so much about Robert. He was sitting there, and we were all we were all. We, we had the spoiler laid back and the nose taped off. You know, we were in qualifying mode. <laughs> and he goes, let me tell you what you need to do in business and life. He says, you don't ever buy anything you can't afford to pay for. He yes. said, that's finance shit. And that's what he said, finance shit <laughs> yeah. it is not the deal to do. If you can't afford to pay for it, you don't need to own it. And I just, that's always stuck in my mind. And my kids go, dad, you never finance anything. I says, Robert Yates told me a long time ago, the banks make money on you. So figure out how to get your money, then pay for it. <laughs> well, that makes perfect sense.
4: It really does. And we've lived that way. Um, and this is also an overrule of Robert Yates. Um, if it's not nailed down, sell it. And what that means, there's a machine you bought a couple years earlier because it was the hot piece you know, of equipment. And a few years later, you can tell the guys aren't using it. It's just sitting around. So you get it sold so you can buy the next hot piece of equipment that helps us race better. We would sell anything we had to get the money to buy the next thing and, and have money, not finance. And today, even today, we we run our business with zero debt because of that. We we've been very simple and slow, but we've had forty years to build a business. So it's it's a lot said to those guys and those Those principles, right?
3: Easier said than done, too. Good spot for a timeout here. We're talking to an executive VP at Roush Yates Engines. He's Jeff Clark, and you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by MyRacePass and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, it's Jeff Kent. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Thicken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off new or used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Thicken Ford Lincoln Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. He's well known in the garage in NASCAR for many years. Jeff Clark is our guest once again here's mike wallace
2: well jeff as we come to uh, kind of our final segment here and we can talk i think really for hours but we can't we don't have that much time but so i need to uh fast forward from you and doug working at yates racing to how did the the uh, ability for it to become roush yates racing how did that all materialize
4: so that's a that's a great story if you remember back in the day um Man, Robert Yates and Jack Roush were big competitors. They wanted to be. They both wanted to be the number one son to Edsel Ford, as far as you know, technology, finance, all the stuff that Ford was doing to support us. And man, there were times they would. They were not very nice to each other. I remember leaving Richmond one night. I uh, think Jack's cars out qualified Robert's cars, and Robert cleaned us out on the uh, on the rental car. He, he basically sideswiped him the whole way out of the Richmond Tunnel and left. Jack sitting there with a knocked-out radiator. <laughs> um, that's, that's how uh, aggressive it got. But um, the truth of it was Ford Motor Company saw Toyota on the rise. They were in the route to NASCAR, big factory effort, and they suggested that Robert and Jack better merge some type of their resources. And obviously it was the engine company. They were spending a lot of money with both groups, probably doing the same r&d projects and said hey let's let's merge the engine program and then jack will run his race cars robert run the race cars and jack actually warmed up to it he said i like doug yates uh, i think a lot of him i remember the meeting hearing the story saying that uh said, robert i don't think much of you but i think a lot of your son doug <laughs> fact, jack still tells the story
2: being honest right
4: <laughs> so, so i think it was um At Rockingham, as you're winding down the season back when Atlanta was the last race, this is 2003. Um, I think Kenseth was en route to a championship, and they went and met at a motorhome and talked it out. And uh, by the time the two got in the room and were talking, it was amazing how similar they both were. They had the same birthday. Jack was a little older, uh, but same birthday, uh, April 19th. And uh, they're both what we call nail straighteners. And what that means, and I tell a story a lot, uh, Jack, if you're building a a deck at your house or you're building something, expanding your house and you got a box of nails and you bend one, don't reach in that box for a fresh nail. You take the hammer and you straighten that bent one out and you use that nail. You use every penny's worth of that box of nails. And they both were the same mindset. So they, they had a common ground of being efficient, not overspending. And they had Doug was the the common denominator. And uh, so Doug became the manager of the engine department. And uh, that was 20 years ago. This is our 20th anniversary at Roush Yates Engines. And uh, it's been a a great run. And uh, Jack compliments Doug all the time about how this is on cruise control now. Doug runs it for the past, even the 10 years that Doug has really run it independently. Um, you know, it's, it's had confidence of of Jack and all of his executives up in Detroit, and Livonia, and obviously um, gave Jack the opportunity to focus on his race cars and win a lot of championships.
2: There you go. So, so when they merged, and this now, this, what's that statue limitations up? You know, the oh, uh, yes. when when Roush Yates become Roush Yates. Did was Robert did had Doug taken over the engine shop at that time, or did Robert? Still
4: so, own it. No, so it was, it was Robert, Robert and Jack were 50, oh, okay. 50. Okay. They're 50, 50, not they're Even partners in it. Doug was the manager when it started. And in 2009 is when, uh, Robert was closing down his, his race teams and offered the engine shop to Doug. Oh, okay. And so Doug went to the bank and borrowed a lot of money. That's the only time I think he ever borrowed money, um, to buy this. And, um, uh, then had, um, had, you know, worked to pay it off, and he is now 50-50 partners with Jack. So, basically, Doug has earned and purchased Robert's 50%. I got
2: um, you. you know, great. So, h- now, here's a question that I, I, I think I heard somebody ask, but I've never heard the answer for it. How did, the, how did it become Roush-Yates instead of Yates-Roush? Did it just sound yep. better or that, that that would think there there was there had to be a little bit of ego going on there. Flipped a coin,
4: was it? <laughs> yeah. No, so it, it actually has a good story there too. So when that came up, it was a very big question and we had a lot of people with you know, the you remember people with uh Sam Bass and all the designers grew logos and the paint schemes back then. They were trying to create logos for how this is gonna work out and they said, How how are you gonna label this? What's the name gonna be? And Robert came up with the, uh, well, Jack was here first, he's older. So Roush goes first and it wasn't the alphabetical R before Y. it was, it was that Jack was older and out of respect, Robert said, your name goes first. And we're, we're 50 50 in this, but we're both going to work hard to earn this. So it was just a, a factor that Robert said, Jack's older, he deserves it. And, uh, we'll put Roush and Yates together, Roush and Yates racing engines.
2: Wow, that's, that's that's actually a really cool story. That, is a cool that, that story. was a respect story right there. Yeah.
3: So we know you guys build engines, but Roush Yates Manufacturing Solutions is into a little bit more than that. I mean, you guys have contracts with military. You're working with the government, dude.
4: Uh, yeah. Medical. Basic.
3: Yeah. So how do those meetings go?
4: <laughs> that's really neat. And again, um, it's, it's like racing all over again. So couple things were happening in NASCAR. They were making rules that you had to run engines twice. Um, they were slowing down the the consumption of parts, which basically was going to eliminate jobs and costs for the teams. And Doug was really visionary in the mindset to say, Hey, I don't want people being laid off. What can we do to keep people working? And it's really interesting, the engineering and the CNC machines that Robert was so famous for bringing in to start the cylinder head business. Or now the centerpiece that you use to make military parts, parts for airplanes, tanks, helicopters. So we decided to take a dedicated group um, in Robert's machine shop that was over in Talbert Point, crossing the engine shop that's in Lakeside Park, about 20 people and 20 machines, and start going to trade shows and looking for work that we could do and not interfere with racing or not have racing interfere with the parts being made because we would go to these trade shows and no one would talk to us about the first year. And they said, yeah, this thing called the Daytona 500 comes and all you racing people that have tried this before you forget about your contracts and delivering parts during the month of February. So, um, we needed some commitments and, and we understood that we ended up with a contract for L three Harris. They make the radios that go on the dashboards of Hummers and then the backpacks for soldiers and radios. And you say L three, L3 Harris, yes. Yeah, they they just
2: sold. I just read last night they did. Did
4: Did you see the numbers on that company?
2: I did. You know, what's a really crazy story, and it's unique that you said that because L3 is not a common name to anybody. But years ago, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan with General Myers, Richard Myers. He was the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, and he was on the board of directors for L3. Hmm. and of course i was trying to find sponsors back then and i'm going what is this l3 you know that's not, and uh, he explained it all to me and here last night i read an article that they had sold so
4: what was yeah, the number was it a big number yeah they do business in the billions yeah. um if you i'd say it's double digit billions if i had to guess knowing the things we've seen around them from their all their entities around the world so they are the lead of all communication. So, like in the NASCAR garage, we got Motorola radios on all of us. Uh, they plastic radios. are great. They're lightweight. They're durable. But in the military, you got a lot of heat. You got heat from the machines, the tanks, or bombs going off. If that flash of a bomb melts the plastic, on a regular radio, electronics are dead. So, everything's made out of aluminum, aluminum cases, housings. And it was just like going back into making cylinder heads and brackets and parts for our engines. Our engineers understood it well um we knocked it out of the park and delivery on time you know our mindset we've been trained for 30 years like you said got to be ready on the green flag they're not going to wait for you if you're not ready you get left behind so we understood on-time delivery and we've had a really good skill set with engineers and programmers to make good accurate parts to the print and it just it just fit us well so we started with the radios and then we learned that as engineers like on race teams or crew guys move around, they look for the talent they learn to take it with them. Well, we were getting calls from General Dynamics, Lockheed Martin, and then it ended up with some people going to SpaceX calling us, and that's been a lot of fun with rocket engine parts and uh, satellite parts that we make now. So we've got a really diverse group of parts here. We've got almost 100 employees that are at the machine shop making parts at Ross Shades Manufacturing Solutions. And hopefully we get successful enough, we can start sponsoring your uh, your podcast here, Mike.
3: Yeah, I like the way that sounds. So you know, it's interesting. Years ago, right when the the Robert Yates engines were dominating NASCAR, and they called them the Yates Rockets, right? Yes. Remember that? Oh, yeah.
2: And now they're building rockets. The Companies building rocket engine parts. <laughs> oh yeah, we're proud
4: of that. Really, yeah, uh, really.
2: So so has that? I, I'm I'm very proud of you guys. I mean, it's it's. I love it that you took the world of racing, and as it was changing, <clears throat> didn't what I call die on the vine. You changed. You, you, you got innovative. How How is working on those military-slash-space parts? Is it just an item, or is there something, like, super cool? Like, when you see a SpaceX rocket take off and, and then come back and land, you go, that's part of our part.
4: Yeah, right. Do you guys... it is. It's just like racing. You're real proud of that car finishes top five or especially when you've got a checker flag right you really love when you win but when we see military efforts you know succeed in different campaigns um, knowing that our radios save lives or brought soldiers home or seeing a rocket go up in the air um, those groups are very clear to us that we're part of their mission um the flight critical parts mostly on airplanes that you know if you don't build it right that plane falls out of the sky there's a lot of problems so they're trusting you to be a part of it, just like people and the mechanics will trust you to build to race car engines or build the car safety for your driver. It, it really correlates well, and, and it's really great when we see rockets go up with satellites being launched for SpaceX. Um, we've got to attend some of their supplier meetings that tell the whole mission of Elon Musk or what he's trying to do by going to Mars. Um, that guy is so brilliant, and it's not about ego. Um, he thinks that there are minerals or products that can be found on Mars that could cure cancer or stop children's birth defects. That's his sole mission for going there is to better society. And uh, it's really cool to hear him talk about it.
2: Well, that's a nice story because you don't hear that side of the story a lot. You know, we always say that uh, the news is broadcast because it's bad news. There's ever, hardly ever good news in the news. Right. It's
3: yeah. like the old Don Henley song, Dirty Laundry. That's all they want to hear. Really? Dirty, oh, laundry. dirty Laundry. Yeah.
2: Okay. So... so yeah. Are you, and I, the personal side now, are you involved in, uh, do you, do you go sit in those meetings or do you have people that work for you that do that?
4: No, I I do it myself. I'm, I moved more to a business development role when I'm working with the machine shop. Um, I'm looking at, you know, opportunities, the machines I've got, obviously some senior guys that have coached me well and taught me if it's parts that we could reasonably do, or we have machines, that would fit these certain parts. So I've been, I've been coached. Well, um, just take our racing you know, add is our DNA that we've always been real aggressive and, and, but you know, solid steps. Don't get over your ski tips, as Robert would say. Um, so that's been that part of it. I'm very fortunate to be around some very smart people to educate us and, and we've had to hire more talent. We got this thing really strong in about five year window, but now we're at a point where it's beyond us and we've had to hire other people, specialists from, open manufacturing to come in and and help us take this to the next level Uh, so we're real proud of that part Um, you know and it all started with robert having the the vision to buy a cnc machine to port cylinder heads back in 1990 when the the eight cylinder heads were about to be outlawed Um, nascar came in and they created the templates and told robert if you supply the heads to all the Ford teams um, you can keep your design and that's how it all started and we needed the machines because back then to get a set of heads was like two, three months of porting, grinding, hand, hand working those cylinder heads. Um, the only way to do it was with CNC machine. So Robert went out and did the homework, figured it out, and we bought our first machine and started doing the cylinder heads. And, you know, from 1990 to today, um, now we have 75 machines in total. We actually have the shop in Robert Yates Racing's original building over here in Morrisville. On the corner, I think you remember, Mike, when Hill River was going, and then Robert bought the building. Right. I think Richard Petty rented it for a while. Um, But we are now in that facility. um, That's 88,000 square feet full of machines and people making parts for military, medical, aerospace, defense, those categories. And then we just completed another 60,000-foot building beside it that will focus specifically on medical. Um, We've got some really neat opportunities coming up in medical.
2: Well, Jeff, I'm proud of you guys. I really am. I'm proud that I know you uh, as a friend from early days in the race world to where you've advanced your career, you and Doug Yates. and uh, Got to be are- that
3: communications marketing degree from UNC Wilmington, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. yes, sir. It's you've done well, else. my friend. You've done well. <laughs>
2: yeah. well, it's, it's, well, as we said, we can, we can talk forever, but uh, we've used your time up that we asked you for today, and uh, maybe we can get together and talk at some other time and maybe if you don't mind, we won't tell anybody we're coming except you, Jeff and I might sneak over and check out that cool manufacturing yeah, absolutely.
4: place. Absolutely. That'd be fun. Come, uh, one quick note, your sponsor, Mark Thicken. Um, we are customers of that. He's done a great job. Uh, Chase Briscoe bought his first car over there. He's a kid. We've helped come up from Indiana racing drives over at Tony Stewart's team. So real proud of him. And then, uh, you know, really, really glad they're helping you with the show here. It's really
2: nice. Well, thank you for saying that, and I'll pass that on to Mark. It was really unique. I met Mark. I might as well tell the story. Mark and I met at a fundraiser at his facility, uh, Doug Herbert, with the Brakes organization. Uh, they, they had it just to get together down at, at Mark's uh, dealership, which I think back if you back up the storyline, Felix had some. Felix Sabatis had owned, and Mark's mm-hmm. group bought yep. it out. And uh, we got to knowing each other. We got to talking, and uh, t- I told him about the show, and it, it was really cool because I go, I can't guarantee any numbers. I don't really know what we do, but we're gonna work hard at it. And Well, he goes, as I know, said,
3: the whole world is listening. Yeah,
2: the whole world's listening now. And, and he says, "Look, <laughs> I'm gonna buy into you. I know you. Okay. So that's that's what we did. So thanks for mentioning it, Jeff. Yeah, uh, cool. it, it means a lot to me.
4: Again, yeah, no, thank you guys. You guys have a great afternoon, and I'm always available if I can do anything. Admire."
3: That's the big Ten Four. There he goes. Jeff Clark, you've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, powered by MyRacePass and NASCAR Digital Media.